Episode 228 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the retired British rower Sir Steve Redgrave, who is regarded as one of the greatest Olympians ever, having won gold medals at five consecutive Olympic Games from 1984 to 2000. He also won three Commonwealth Games gold medals and nine World Rowing Championships golds. He is the most successful male rower in Olympic history and the only man to have won gold medals at five Olympic Games in an endurance sport. Steve was knighted in 2001 and the following year a statue of him was unveiled at his hometown Marlow in Buckinghamshire. This interview took place in 2010 and we began by talking about the school days there which started his rowing career. My secondary school, Great yeah. Marlow, comprehensive. So what are your memories of being there? Are they happy memories or what? Reasonably happy. I certainly wasn't uh, an academic by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Why do you, do you go to this school in particular? Did your parents go there before you or what? I failed my 11 plus and it was the only school that was available. Both my elder sisters went to the same school as well. How much of a blow was it to you and your family that you failed your 11 plus? Not at all. We knew it was going to happen. Hmm. Uh, I don't think I even put down the um, grammar schools that I had passed my 11 plus that I would have gone to because it was, it was almost a known fact that I was going to fail my 11 plus. So it was never, never an issue to me or my family or uh, uh, that process. Why do you think you failed? I'm heavily dyslexic, struggle with reading and writing even to this day so uh, to me it was never uh, never an issue that uh, that I had a chance of, of passing my 11 plus. Was this a time when dyslexia wasn't properly recognized? Yeah yeah. And how distressing did you find your reading difficulties? Not a great deal. I suppose it was my junior school where it sort of started to come uh, apparent that I was taken off to do extra English. I had to go and read to the headmistress during some of the lessons at the, at the school that we're talking about now, of, of uh, the secondary school, that um, I was taken out of French to do extra English. So people knew there were issues, need helping hand in, in certain areas, so that was sort of given, but there was no, no more than, than sort of taking out of, uh, of subjects and, and given uh, extra help in, uh, or extra time is probably the better word of putting it than help, extra timing, other lessons. A lot of people who experienced reading difficulties in that sort of time felt that the teachers weren't understanding or sympathetic enough. What's your own experience? Um, I, I suppose you, you class yourself as being, being thick and stupid. I think of being a large or tall, strong-looking, athletic type of person that that I wasn't really picked on, so uh, I, I was given more help from my peers and, and, uh, and teachers than, than not. So even then, you were tall and athletic looking? Yeah, I'd say so. Oh, I was always the, the, the tallest uh, within the, uh, uh, the school years that I was in. Did you always feel that somehow you would do something in life where you'd excel, or did people tell you as a youngster there's something special about you? I wouldn't have said so. My parents had come very much from a working-class background. My father went into the Merchant Navy for a, uh, a few years. 
when he came out of the Merchant Navy, he got uh, pulled in the last draft of, of National Service, which I think he was a little bit missed at because of, of being involved in the, in the Merchant Navy for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was quite an old intake of, of National Service. Uh, and when he came out of that, he sort of uh, took on a, a couple of uh, uh, roles working for people, but ended up starting up his own building business. So right. my youth, I sort of remember him sort of being self-employed, doing his own thing. As a kid, I was sort of brought up on building sites and, and that sort of flexibility. So I always felt that I would I would be self-employed of some sort and, and do my thing than, than actually go and be working for somebody else. It never materialised that way because it, uh, I ended up doing sports and finding a survival around that route than, than actually doing a, a job. Was sport in the family? Not really to, to my knowledge. My two sisters were quite a bit older than me. One's five years older than the other one's nine years older than me. The eldest one, Christine, was quite a good runner at school, but never took it any further once leaving. And my other sister, Jane, was a very good swimmer, a very good backstroke swimmer. Right. Again, never took it any further from leaving, leaving school. But were you one of those boys as a youngster that was mad about sport? Yeah. yeah. What do you think got you into that? Just watching it on the telly or something? Um, I was reasonably explosive. I was a reasonably good sprinter, district level, school and district level, that um, quite a good sprinter, which also meant that I could throw things quite well, apart from the javelin, which I was useless at, <laughs> but shot put discus. Uh, I, I could turn my hand to most things reasonably well on, on a sports field. When I started rowing, my endurance levels went up, so of being quite a big guy, I won the, the school cross-country as well, which for somebody of, of, of my size you wouldn't really expect, but that was because of uh, the training that I was doing uh, rowing-wise that in, improved that. And so once I, I started developing my um, endurance levels is that uh, having the ability to, to be able to sprint and do longer distances is that again enthusiasm sort of have paid off and people like doing things they're good at and avoid things they're bad at so yeah. uh, uh, we had quite a good school football team i wasn't really that good at football i was the reserve goalkeeper in fact for the team we played a little bit of rugby but not it wasn't really a rugby school so every time that we had occasionally had games rugby games against other schools it was the football team that came and joined the few people that were playing rugby that put the side together from that but mm. um, uh, we were we were quite a good rugby side but it wasn't a rugby school and we never really played the top rugby schools within that i used to play cricket uh, house cricket mm-hmm. uh, to me house cricket was about getting out of lessons <laughs> than, uh, than, and then actually uh, of uh, from that point of view. But yeah, anything sporting-wise, I'd give a go and, and want to be involved in. Did you join any kind of a sporting club in the locality at that point, which sort of started you up? I did locally, uh, a local village hall, and did judo. Only got up to a yellow belt. But the problem I found uh, with that, again, of being bigger than my age group, is that uh, I got being a sort of uh, um, 11, 12, 13 year old was being put with 18 to 22 year olds and yeah I was a big strong 12 year old but 
competing that with a with a 20 year old or late teens you're going to get roasted and so uh, i got disillusioned with that and that's when i started uh, around 13 14 found, found the sport of rowing you explained earlier that you weren't really into academic studies but were there any subjects that you enjoyed i was more of a practical type of person so um woodwork um, i did car maintenance uh, i did a combined science and more of the, the sort of quite a lot of the combined science that we had was actually about more of the biology side of, of, of and also the sort of growing growing side of growing plants and, and that sort of side of it that I quite enjoyed. Mm. Did you ever receive any school reports that basically said this man will amount to nothing or something? That's a little bit opposite really. Uh, my final year at secondary school the round table gave uh, an award which is obviously given um, advised by the by the teachers and it was called the best potential citizen and it normally went to the head girl head boy who was normally reasonably uh, academic and did well at exams and stuff like that mm. and to my surprise i was given this award and i couldn't understand of why i've been given it but perhaps somebody saw something in me that, that later in life that i can understand it now yeah what had taken your family to the Marlow area in the first place? Good question. Born and bred. Right. Uh, so was my father. Probably the um, grandparents and even my parents' grandparents. High Wycombe is, was the furniture capital of, of, of the country. My great-grandfather was a carpenter. My grandfather was a carpenter. That was probably the reason that the, the, uh, my dad's side of the family moved, moved into, into Marlow. You just made me think about um, that program, Who Do You Think You Are? I remember um, Matthew Pinson's episode and they took him back to Adam and Eve. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Would you do that program? Would I do it if they, if they found some interesting history on, on my family? Yeah, I probably would. But yeah. I think they did a DNA swab and sort of test out my, my DNA. They never came back to me, so they probably never came up with anything that was uh, very interesting. <laughs> Do you still see people you were at school with around the area, bearing in mind you're still there? Yeah. Yeah, every now and again. I see one or two of them on a very regular basis. One of the guys that I went to school with, I'm cycling across America next month. We're raising money for my own charitable trust, which is, uh, or charitable fund now, that is being held by, by Comet Release. So it's uh, a joint of my, my own fund, the Steve Redgrave Fund and Sport Relief. Excellent. And did any other people who've gone on to be famous go to your school? Not that you would class as, as, as being famous, I would have said. And was this school just like a few minutes walk from your home and you just trotted back at the four o'clock? My, my junior school, one that I was at, at the top for, for two years before uh, moving on to Great Marlow, was literally uh, about 400 metres away from where I lived. And what about this one, Great Marlow? Uh, Great Marlow was probably uh, uh, about uh, a, a mile away. And uh, bearing in mind you weren't particularly keen on the academic side of things, did you ever play truant? No. You, you went in every day regardless? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My mother was the secretary of the local barn club, which was the sort of uh, equivalent to, we have a public house uh, and a club. Mm -hmm. uh, they're both basically pubs but one was sort of owned by the community. Uh, my mother was the secretary of that. She also ran the village hall of the youth club for my sister's age group right the way down to, to my age group, even though I'd found rowing by this time. Mm -hmm. So she knew everybody in the area, so 
she knew what I'd been up to before I'd even got back up home. Right. One of those tight communities in, in those days. Marlow, I know, is, is right on the river, and uh, people do row up and down a great deal. Was it a case of you just strolling along by the river one day, seeing someone do it, and thought, I fancy doing that? No, it was the head of the English department, a guy called Francis Smith. We weren't a rowing school by any stretch of the imagination. He used to just pick out a few individuals of giving it a go, and uh, he asked me, and I thought going out on the river during school time, being sort of half-organised, this, uh, this seems something that I'd rather do than being at school. And how old were you then? 13, nearly 14. Right. And uh, did you very swiftly develop a, a real passion for it? Um, I didn't think that I picked the gift up very quickly, but it just seemed a fun thing to do. A group of us, I think there was 12 of us that was asked for my, my school year. We certainly, within a few weeks, sort of dwindled down to, uh, to four people that were, were interested in, in doing it. And so the four of us, very soon after school, because it was just sort of within the games lesson to start with, so it was once a week, and then Francis sort of encouraged us to come down every day after school. Mm. And uh, it just seemed to be a, a fun thing to do. And after a few weeks, a couple of months, he asked us if we wanted to, to go and do a race. And we thought that was pretty good fun. So off we did, and we went and, went and raced. And you won? Yeah. <laughs> And how did the other children in the school react to you doing rowing? Did they think it was quite heroic or, or a bit of an odd thing to do or what? Um, I don't really remember sort of getting much sort of response either way, really. Um, it was just sort of, I suppose, there was a number of after-school clubs of, uh, of different things that was, was done on the premises. And this was sort of seen to be as, as sort of a, uh, an after-school club that... Uh, that that we had to go somewhere to go and do. But um, once after that sort of first year, we were reasonably, uh, well, we, we entered seven events and won all seven. Mm. Um, the following year, we, we won eight events out of 15. Um, and so every now and again of, of when, because all the races mainly were at weekends, uh, would be announced in the assembly on the, on the Monday morning. And I suppose people quite liked our school, doing quite well outside activities. Hmm. And you explained earlier that almost nobody dare bully you because you were a big strapping bloke, but did anyone ever try early on? Not that I can remember. I got myself into one or two little scuffles, but uh, only very minor. <laughs> You've always seemed a very mild-mannered sort of chap. Uh, were you the same then, or were you quite feisty? No, I've always been uh, quite quiet and shy and, and uh, introverted, really. Hmm. Was it quite tough being shy as a youngster? No, because you could hide away and blend into the background, really. Right. Uh, how many people were in the school altogether? There were just under a thousand, about probably 900, wow. 950 pupils. And uh, would you say you were quite a popular chap at the school, or just your average? Uh, I would say pretty average, really. Hmm. Did lots of funny things happen? I mean, you know, at schools of that age, people get up to all sorts of uh, japes and jinks and things. Anything memorable happen? Not that I can um, um, really remember. I, I, I suppose that uh, we used to play football in break time and we used to have the two netball posts and the game was to hit the, the football against the netball post. So relatively quite, quite skilled the playground area where we used to do this there was a, a single story flat roof and a double story flat roof 
and every now and again that the uh, the football used to uh, go up on the up onto the roof, and obviously that we weren't allowed to go and retrieve it. But our own rules were whoever kicked it up there had to retrieve it, and, and so any time that the ball went up there, and the, the odd time that I kicked it up there, that uh, you would uh, sort of go up. I think I was sort of quite sort of canny and, and crafty in some ways, in my own sort of quiet little way. And so as soon as somebody went up onto the roof, all the teachers used to sort of rush out because they would know that somebody was up on the roof. <laughs> and I would jump down the opposite side and come running round to where the, the, the teachers were waiting for the person to come down and saying, is there somebody up there? <laughs> I wonder who it is. <laughs> Knowing damn well it was me and there's nobody up there and they weren't going to catch anybody. <laughs> did you ever get punished for anything? Uh, every now and again. Yeah. What sort of punishments did they have at that school? Next year. If one of the uh, prefects decided that you were in the wrong somewhere, it would be lines, that uh, detention... Of, of standing out of uh, the deputy head or headmaster's rooms or in the main corridor of, of that was, was one of them. Uh, every now and again that uh, a, a pupil would, uh, would get a slipper or a, a cane. Right. Oh, you're a parent yourself? How do you feel about smacking kids? Um, I wouldn't say that I was against it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my children to be, uh, to be in that situation because I would hope that they would conduct themselves, that they wouldn't get in that um, situation in the first place. Are we allowed to know if your children will be going to that school? Well, one's at university, so oh, right. uh, she's well past uh, that age group of being at that school, and no, all three of them uh, are not at that school. Right. May we know why? Since retiring from my sport, I've been able to uh, earn a reasonable amount of money yeah. and been able to afford to uh, send them to private education. Yeah. Do you think you yourself would have liked private education? Um, being involved in a sport that was very much seen to be uh, a public school sport, I always said that I would never send my children to, uh, to private school. Right. Um, when you become a little bit older, a little bit more financial secure, the opportunities that they, they, they get from being at those type of schools, it also eases the, 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 the burden of class sizes. We have very, very good schools in this area junior school that I went to is, is classed to be uh, uh, a very top school within that age group but again my children didn't go to that school and, and one of the local parents says well why don't you send uh, your children to this school and I said well if I send my children there when I, mean, I can afford to send them to somewhere else mm. is that uh, that would be one more person or another three people class size bigger than than, than before and, and so I don't really see it as, as sort of an elitist in some ways of, of giving my children a very good education, hopefully, and easing the state system within this area to help other people's children as well. We know you, of course, to be a fantastic competitor. Were you extremely competitive as a youngster? Within sports, I suppose, yes. I suppose I was competitive within academia as well, but it was always going to be in the bottom, bottom for you. Mm. Uh, you were hoping you weren't going to be last. Were you quite driven by the fact that you weren't terribly academic? Were you thinking, I've got to make up for it in other ways? No, I don't think so. But as I said earlier, that people like things they do, uh, that they're good at, and avoid things that they uh, are bad at. So when it became to sort of math and English, I would, uh, if there was any opportunity of avoiding that, I would. There wasn't many opportunities to be able to do that. Uh, mm. And because I was better on a sporting field, that I quite enjoyed doing that. 
Was there anything else that you were really into when you were at this secondary school? Like, I don't know, pop music or comics or whatever? What, what sort of things were you into? No, not really. It was always a sort of um, sporting, uh, sporting front of, uh, of some sort. There's a saying that we'd be kicking a football around, either trying to hit the, uh, uh, sort of the netball post, as I said, or um, the other game that we had was kicking the ball. You had one kick against the, the wall. The ball would bounce back. Whoever was nearest would be the, the next person that would kick at it. You could never do two in a row. But if you missed the wall or whoever was standing against the wall stopped the, bo- the ball, then you would then go on to the wall with them mm. until there was just two people left and, and then there was, there was a win and then you start again. So all sorts of, of, of different sort of, uh, of games in, in that sort of sense in some ways. And obviously, as a sportsman, you've won a tremendous amount of trophies and awards and so on. Did you win many things at school that perhaps you've still kept in a little cabinet? Not that I can, that we were able to, this morning I won the um, Sports Day trophy every now and again. There was one of the guys on the on the football team that was quite a good all round. There was two or three, there was a very good cricketer, there was a quite a good medium-fast bowler, um, played for the county. There was a footballer couple of footballers that went to trials for various clubs within within the areas. So there was sort of a handful of us that were sort of good and sporting-wise. Hmm. Um, and sometimes I would win the sports the sports trophy. One of the other years, one of the others would would, would do. But that was an annual thing. So yeah, you might. I can't really remember if we were allowed to take the uh, the little trophy home and keep <laughs> it for the year. Um, but um, uh, it's something you never. You, you weren't allowed to keep for life. <laughs> when I was a kid, my hero was Alan Ball, the footballer, because yeah. I was an Everton fan. Did you have a, 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 like a big international sports hero? I certainly enjoyed my uh, uh, football, and, and where I live, we never had a first division side as it was in those days. Marlow was very non-league. I used to go and watch them every now and again, but there was about six or seven in total that used to go and watch on a, on a Saturday. Yeah. Wickham Wanderers were a non-league side at that stage. Uh, Reading were the equivalent of the third, fourth division in those days. So the, the nearest first division sides were QPR, Fulham and Chelsea. Yeah. And so I was a Chelsea supporter. The sort of late 60s, Peter Bonetti, me playing in goal. Peter Bonetti was sort of uh, my sort of uh, 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 hero. Uh, even though our sizes were, were very different. Yeah. Uh, Peter Osgood uh, being the other end of the, of the pitch, because if I wasn't in goal, I'd be trying to score goals. Uh, obviously being tall of uh, corners and central forward type of, of, of uh, a build of those days. So uh, uh, those those two uh, were sort of standouts, really. Did you go on to meet them at any stage? I've met, met Peter Bonetti, yes. Right. And was that a, a big thrill, bearing in mind as a youngster you admired him? Uh, yeah, it was. He actually yeah. came up to me. I was invited along to the, the 100th anniversary of, of Chelsea Football Club, uh, a quite a big dinner that was uh, was set up. And uh, I was asked the question of who my Chelsea heroes was, and I mentioned Peter Bonetti. Oh. At the end of the evening, that uh, the, the TV crew had mentioned it to him, so he came up and, and spoke to me, which was mm. quite nice. Uh, um, and he's, he's, he's a lovely, humble guy. Uh, it was nice to meet him. Did you have any inspirational teachers at all at school? Any that really made a big impact on you? Well, Francis, my, 
by uh, his enthusiasm. He was, uh, he's still around, I still see him two or three times a year. He was a very strict person within, within the school premises, but then was very different outside. He, he sort of, he was very disciplined of, of our training and from that point of view, but he also made it fun and his enthusiasm rubbed on us on, on us and we won those those few first few races not because we were um, god's gift to, to rowing is because we were fitter and stronger mm. and it was his enthusiasm that, that sort of uh, rubbed off on us to make us train hard without us realizing that we were training hard so when you won your gold medals was he among the first people you rang to just to say thank you no, not not really. I didn't I didn't go and, and ring anybody and, and um, sort of uh, make an impact from from that point of view, because again, that's sort of not in my uh, um, demeanour. But right. uh, somebody that's always been around. I'm, I'm very much part of Marlow Regatta uh, hmm. and Marlow Town Regatta now, of, of uh, on the committee of one and, and president of the other. And so at uh, regattas, he's he's still always. Uh, around those sort of events, even though he's not attached to to, to Marlow Rain Club, but um, uh, it's somebody that I'll, I will see on a on a year to year basis. The book inspired the dedication is is to Francis Smith, uh, Mike Sprackling, and Jurgen Grobler, yeah. who are my three rowing coaches. So um, there's certainly recognition of those people that have made a, a big impact in in my life. Do you remember the day you left school and how you felt? No, I can't really. I think the last couple of years, because I was performing very well within the sport nationally, I suppose it goes back to a, a previous question, there was, there was sort of respect of what we were achieving, especially me individually. The last couple of years, I, I really enjoyed being at school. Hmm. I found my sort of feet in some ways even though that it wasn't in the sort of the, the normal way of sort of school life in some ways and and sort of enjoyed those last couple of years where the, the first two years probably would have been a little bit sort of, of tougher of trying to find your feet and, and because it, you weren't uh, that academic that it, it was harder to find the, your mm. feet in some ways so of, of coming up to leaving school it was it was more of a thing in, well, okay, what am I going to do next? I wasn't going to go on to further education, but because I've developed a path and, and uh, within the sport that I was going to try and take that as, as far as I possibly could. So it was sort of um, um, uh, moving on to the next steps in some ways. I'm sure you've been invited back to the school to present prizes and so on. Yeah, no, I've, I've been back on a number of occasions. What's that been like for you? I'm always quite surprised at how small students are because <laughs> uh, you always sort of see yourself and uh, as being the taller top end of the size of students and because it was a day-to-day -day process of you sort of moving up the generations of uh, and the years of being at school and uh, you go back to there and you see the first year students and thinking god they're tiny <laughs> I could have, I, was i ever that size i can't i can't believe i was that size but even sort of, uh, of, of the growth that I've, I've done since then is that, um, that even the elder, the elder students in their last couple of years is that uh, there's, there's, there's a few that um, are, are tall 
and large, but when you sort of stand there at assembly or um, see them on, on, a, on a level basis, is that literally you are head and shoulders taller than the elder students and the younger ones, they're younger than my children. Do they, um, quite tall. Do they now have a great rowing team? Unfortunately, when Francis retired, the rowing club stopped, which was uh, a shame. And again, sort of shows the, the passion of, of the man that was involved of, of, of being able to. Health and safety becomes quite a big issue, yeah. uh, which again is, is, uh, is uh, I think, a little sort of a blight in, in society, uh, that you're not allowed to have one school teacher to take a group of people off the premises of school. I think that's a big shame because then uh, sort of quite a lot of after-school clubs in what sort of, all sorts of different areas, even if it could be a chess club and, and going to another school, that uh, you can't have one person taking the minibus to that. You have to have two teachers within that process. And I just think that's, that's a shame. Where Francis, in our last couple of years at school, we used to uh, meet by his car after lessons Hmm. He used to drive us down to the rowing club. We used to go and do our training, and then he used to drive us off and drop us back to our, our homes afterwards so we could get our homework done for uh, the next day's school. Well, that, just, that wouldn't happen in state schools now. Have they thought of renaming this school after you, or even naming a sports hall there or something after you? Um, when I came back from Sydney, there was talk of the other secondary school that we have in, in Marlow is Sir William Borlays and people were saying oh it'd be great to have the Sir Steve Redgrave school but it never it never happened. Right. What's it like having a statue of yourself in your hometown? Odd. Is it? I think of statues of being of, of generations of, of people that have, are no longer here. Obviously there are a few statues around of people that are still alive but uh, on the whole, they tend to be people that um, uh, are no longer with us. So to have a statue of yourself is, is a bit odd in some ways. How Quite often do you go and visit it? Um, probably see it three or four times a year. The last time I would have seen it probably would have been um, we sort of get involved in some of the um, sporting challenges of, of it was actually uh, the Marlow five mile run last. Mm. Sunday. I didn't do it this year, but we did it last year, and my wife was part of it. So, uh, yeah, we saw it then. Marlow Town Regatta. It overlooks the river. Yeah. So, of where the Town Regatta is, is that um, it's quite prominent there, so it gets seen there. Normally on uh, Regatta Day, the day after Regatta Day, it normally has a traffic cone on its head. <laughs> it's always quite nice. <laughs> Do your family feel quite protective of it? Do they go and give it a little clean from time to time? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think they're, they're reasonably proud that it, it's there, but it's very much of sort of uh, other people talking more about it than, than they do. Mm. But I suppose from their point of view, it's quite nice that there, there is talk about it and uh, their father is, is sort of remembered in some ways. It did get vandalised uh, two or three years ago. Did it? And someone tried pulling it down I think they they got it down to floor level but it never sort of gave up its um, attachments completely oh. probably the, the cost of bronze going up this is probably worth <laughs> worth um, trying to melt it down of some sort I don't know what the reasons were 
I was away at the time, and the local newspaper was in contact with me, of saying that yeah. uh, it'd been vandalised, and what what I thought, and I thought it was sort of quite amusing, really. Well, near where I live, there's a statue of Steve Ovette, and uh, they vandalised that and left just his his feet. Um, but I think that's quite appropriate as he's a runner. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and I last saw you on television at the uh, the boat race, and uh, you got fairly soaked by the winning team. Yeah. Did you um, charge them for the dry cleaning? No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I, the offer was given uh, by the sponsor, but uh, no, it's, uh, it's all part of the sport in some ways. And you mentioned earlier you're a Chelsea fan. I imagine you'd have been celebrating last weekend. Yes. Were you there? Uh, I wasn't. I was practising for... Uh, the cycle that I'm doing next month. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, but I will be at the FA Cup final on Saturday. I was going to say, because last year, didn't you break your leg at a golf tournament or something yeah. and struggle to get there? So how much of a big deal is it for you to be there for this final? Um, I was there with a broken leg last year. And fortunately, I, I was invited to the, the semi-final. And the semi-finals tend to be a little bit easier to get, uh, get tickets because it's almost... 50% goes to tickets go to each team. The uh, the finals is not quite that. There's actually re- reduction in, in the tickets, so it's actually harder to get tickets. But um, I've got tickets to uh, for my uh, son and myself to, to go along. My eldest daughter is a Chelsea supporter as well, but uh, she's at uh, Oxford University now. And uh, even though she swore blind that she would never row, since she's been there, she started rowing and she's actually racing this weekend in Bedford. She won't be joining us. And uh, have you not been asked to be a director of Chelsea FC? No, I haven't. You wouldn't want to be? It depends what the terms and conditions were, I suppose. But uh, I, I get invited every now and again to go to the uh, uh, director's box. We tend to, um, as my daughter has got older, she's got a little bit more fussy about uh, of where she sits. <laughs> where in the early days that she was quite happy to sit wherever. And then uh, I used to ring her up from school and saying that uh, I've got tickets to go to uh, Stamford Bridge this weekend. Do you fancy going? And yeah. she said, well, where are we going to sit? <laughs> if it wasn't the director's box, she, would, she wasn't that keen of going. But I think that was uh, a female and, and the age that she was getting to. But uh, my son enjoys going of wherever he sits. So, uh, uh, we're looking forward to going on Saturday. I'm taking him on Saturday. Oh, and to, to most of us, Sir Roman Abramovich is a real enigma. Can you throw any light onto his, what he's like? I've never met him. Really? The first time I went to the director's box, I thought oh, that'd be quite quite nice to meet uh, a Roman and find a, a little bit about it. But yeah. uh, uh, his box is above the director's box, so uh, I've never met him yet. Right. You've got a knighthood. How important is that to you? And how much has it changed your life being Sir Steve? I don't think it's really changed my life at all. It, uh, it doesn't really give you uh, any pluses. But the way that I look at it, it's the ultimate honour that your country can bestow on you. Yes. Um, and that's the way I look at it. I don't look at it. it it's, it's given to you by the Queen. It's really Downing Street that decide who gets them. But the way that I look at it, it's uh, and especially the sort of uh, of of when I came back um, from Sydney, is that there was a lot of talk about oh Steve Redgrave should be knighted from from what he's done, mm. and obviously it's a few months afterwards that uh, the New Year's honours list comes out from end of September to October of coming back. Mm. There was a lot of media attention on that that sort of thing. So was it a surprise? Probably not. Mm. Was it nice to have? Yes 
because it is, as I say, the, sort of the ultimate recognition from your country that can be bestowed on you from sort of sporting recognition side of it. So that's the way I look at it. May we know if you insist on being called Sir Steve? No, I don't insist at all. I still mm. find it quite odd, even though it's 10 years on. Mm. Um, I got it the first few months or even the first couple of years afterwards. You sort of go to restaurants and, and uh, the waiter says, that uh, is everything all right, sir? <laughs> and you're thinking, does he know that I've been knighted? Or is he just being polite? Because that's, that's how they tend to talk to you. Um, but even, even now that uh, people say that all... I, I play in a few uh, uh, golf events and yeah. played in a few pro-ams. And if you're playing with one of the, uh, the European or foreign golfers, mm. that sometimes the caddies tend to be, quite often, probably about 50% of the time, are, uh, are British. And they come up beforehand and they're saying that uh, they're not quite sure of, of how to address you. At, uh, should it be sir, sir or um, how do you want to be addressed? And I say, mm. no, Steve, that's who I am. Um, if it's something sort of TV-wise, people saying that, um, especially the BBC, always want to be trying to try to get it right. Yeah. And the way I look at it, if you're going to introduce me, introduce me as Sir Steve Redgrave and Steve from, from there on. Right. And it's just a, a recognition of of our right. But there there are some of of the knights that uh, have been recognised, not really in sporting terms. Mm. that um, they want to be uh, known as their name yeah. or sir and their name. Don't call me mister. <laughs> to me, it doesn't worry me, whatever. Yeah. I felt for Rebecca Adlington at the last Olympics when she did so well and then the, one of the other competitors said on camera she should now be Dame Rebecca yeah. and, and she didn't, unfortunately, get that. Do you feel that spoiled it and did you feel for her a bit? There is, there is that sort of moment of... Uh, of people talking about it and, and it probably goes through your mind but uh, I've met Rebecca a couple of times and the, the British Olympic Association have, have tried to sort of formalise it in some ways hmm. um, which I think is wrong because I think it, it should be for overall achievement. Normally knighthoods tend to be um, you have to achieve in more than one area yeah. uh, i.e. within business being a successful business person doesn't give you the right to be united. Mm. But if you have, have, have achieved in other areas and, and uh, been involved in charity or uh, have made significant inroads in other areas, is that uh, then you've got a, a chance of, of being being united. Mm. The British Olympic Association uh, tried to formalise it. So if you win one gold medal, that you should be able to receive an MBE if you get two gold medals from consecutive games yep. that you would be get an OBE if you do three you get a CBE um, if you do four you get uh, get knighted and, and that's sort of, of, of the old chief executive's way of, of, of looking at it and I don't think it should be quite as, as formalised as, uh, as that right. because Kelly Holmes had won her two gold medals in one game yep. and was made a dame after it yep. is that uh, again that was sort of a career's involvement in sports yeah. where uh, Rebecca was her first Olympics and she didn't expect it to happen but if she can't, carries on in sport carries on for a number of, uh, of more 
games and becomes even more successful than she has done, then there's a, a, a good chance. It's probably there's a very good chance that she would do, even if she doesn't win another Olympic gold medal, but has a lifetime's uh, involvement in inspiring other people and, and, and that side, there's a good chance that it may happen. Finally, I must ask you about that extraordinary ground force top gear thing at your home. Has your garden ever recovered from that? Um, it was just over two years ago where that, uh, that uh, Jeremy came and dug my uh, garden up. Uh, it, it's recovered reasonably well. There's still have, uh, have a couple of little um, uh, areas, especially where Jeremy did his uh, fountain, uh, the base for the fountain, and dug a deep hole, has <laughs> sunk, and it's taken a little while to come back but uh, uh, part of the agreement of the, the program so I'm told is that, uh, that the garden was to be put back in the area it was before and it's just about there other areas probably better than it was before one or two of the areas maybe not but no, I'm, I'm actually having a little bit of building work at the moment I'm an extension built at the moment right. and so uh, a bit of the garden's uh, in, a, in a worse state than it was uh, at that particular time I imagine you get quite a few passers-by, even more curious than usual, uh, at your home looking in the garden to see where it happened. Yeah, no, it, uh, that was one of the surprises that my wife had uh, agreed to do the program because normally that the family home is pretty sacred. Yes. We don't very rarely allow any um, crews to come along. Mm. And so to have a whole program of devastation in your garden that... Uh, <laughs> I think that was a little bit of, of her trying to get get back at me in some way. But you've forgiven her. Sort of. <laughs> and Clarkson, have you met him since? Have you had words about it? I've only met him the once, and that was on the day of the programme, and um, never seen him since. Part of the agreement as well was that, uh, so I've been told that I was supposed to be invited to be the star in the reasonably priced car. Uh, that hasn't happened, and so I understand that he refuses to have me on the programme. So uh, uh, I don't know if I upset him enough that uh, on the day of the programme that uh, that he doesn't want to have me, or he's scared that, uh, of meeting me again. I've met James and Richard a few times, yeah. and I think they're, they're generally nice guys. Um, so far, my impression of Jeremy isn't very high. Really, goodness. I'm amazed. Did, did they talk to you about it? Did they say that Jeremy was scared of having you on? Um, well, there were three producers involved in the programme. One that I know extremely well through um, Question of Sport and um, uh, Sport Relief, and one of the producers of, of uh, the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. And I see him on a, on a regular basis. And, and he said, have they invited you on the programme yet? And I said, still nothing has come back. Uh, my agency at IMG, uh, a few people, not just the person that I'm involved on a day-to-day -day basis, but some of the other people as well. So, has that come through yet, of, uh, of you being invited onto the program? Uh, and still no invitations come through. So it's being blocked somewhere. Right. Uh, and the only person I can see it of being blocked is, is, is Jeremy. Goodness. Um, he was physically very scared about, uh, uh, about me. Actually, on the program, was concerned that I may... I've, I've hit him if I knew what was going on and uh, was a, a, in a frame of mind that I could think straight I probably would have hit him uh, so I can understand why he was uh, a little bit concerned even though he's a big chunky guy himself <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I'd, um, maybe one day I might get revenge 
<laughs> maybe the revenge may be that I, I, if I ever do get invited onto the programme, the longer he leaves inviting me on, the probably the worse it will be. God. So if you did meet him socially, what, what do you think you'd try and shake his hand, or would you just ignore him? Or well, what? I refuse to shake his hand on the, on the, uh, the programme. Yeah. Um, no, I wouldn't. I'm not a violent person by any no. stretch of imagination, so uh, uh, he's got nothing to, to, to worry about from that point of view. <laughs>